welcome back to The Short Game. This show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by all of my awesome co-hosts this week. Nate Heininger. Laura Nash. Romantically yours, Shane Kelly. <laughs> and this week, we are talking about Anodyne 2, uh, Return to Dust. And uh, this is the sequel to a game that we previously covered on the show, uh, pretty recently, actually. In episode 177, we talked about the first Anodyne, which we'd been waiting on for quite a while, but it, it had come out fairly recently at that time on Switch, uh, which gave us the boot in the butt that we needed to get around to covering Anodyne, a game that came out, I think, in 2013. And it's from uh, the original game and this one are both from the duo Analgesic Games, which is the combo of developers Sean Contani, I hope I pronounced that right, and Ma- uh, Marina Kitaka. So a game company called Painkiller and a game called Without Pain. Great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so, the, uh, so Anodyne 1 was a project that they put together when they were in college together, essentially. And it was put together over a fairly short period of time. And it's this very cool Zelda-like. It's a top-down 2D Zelda-like that has a very weird, surreal feel that is deliberately uh, referential of, but also just sort of inspired by the vague tone of uh, you know, Link's Awakening. Um, and also by other sort of psychological kind of stuff. Um, We talked quite a bit about Anodyne 1 uh, in episodes 177, so I won't repeat a ton of what we said there, but does anybody have anything they want to say about Anodyne 1 or or analgesic games in general? A couple things that this game shares in CNA are, um, I wouldn't say an aversion to violence per se, there's still combat, but in uh, Anodyne 1, you are armed with a broom, and that is your main weapon. And also you are collecting cards. So it is not a deck builder by any stretch of imagination, <laughs> but the, the rewards no. you get are cards. Uh, there are little images that go in your inventory. So they've got this, you know, kind of in-game currency of cards to unlock gates, cards to unlock next stages of the game. Some of that stuff creeps into Anodyne 2. And Nate, I believe you played Even the Ocean, right? Correct. And it's it was interesting to me because... Uh, you know, I made it about a half an hour into this game before I was like, this writing is reminds me of even the ocean, which uh, if you've played any of their games, they have a very distinct writing style. And I had not, I, I did not play Anodyne one. And so I had, did not have that immediate connection. Um, but it was like, I was getting heavy, even the ocean vibes. So then, you know, of course, kind of find out, they had made both games and and it just, I think it goes to show like they've made several games now and they're very wildly different in genre and scope and like what they're trying to accomplish, but they definitely have a, like almost like an auteur feel, you know, I could tell that this was made by them, even though it is, Oh, it is entirely unlike even the ocean, even the ocean is a side scrolling platformer, uh, like puzzle platformer with some overworld mechanics, completely unlike this game. Yeah, this game, uh, obviously it's the sequel to Anodyne, which is probably their most popular and famous game. Um, but it's also a very different game from that. They they share a lot of common elements, but they kind of describe the relationship between Anodyne 1 and Anodyne 2 as like the relationship between the various Final Fantasy games. There are echoes of Anodyne 1 in Anodyne 2, many things that 
are part of that anodyne one sort of structure are are either referenced here or explicitly part of the structure of this game too, but they take place in different worlds. They involve different sets of characters. There's no true through line between the games, uh, except in ways that maybe would there are things in Anodyne 2 that kind of nod at or hint at things from Anodyne 1 so that you can kind of, if you did play Anodyne 1, you'll, you know, enjoy the reference, basically. But you're not required to play these in order. Um, there's not something about Anodyne 2 that really builds on Anodyne 1, except that they're just part of the same, I don't know, series. Um, yeah, and they actually tell you adorably about this uh, when you start the game for the first time. There's a screen with like basically a letter from the developers to the player. Oh yeah, I forgot uh, about saying, that. That's right. Saying straight up like, "Hey, this is a spiritual successor to Anodyne One, and you don't have to have played it before. Thank you for playing. We really appreciate you buying our game. It's adorable. I love it." I actually think that that personal um, outreach to the player and like trying to make things very inviting is is a big through line in the in the whole design but you actually see it a lot right up front from the menu like this is a game that has a menu item like on the opening screen that invites you to join their discord and and like talk to them um so this is a game that has you know i guess not every big triple a game actually could do that the discord was would would erupt into absolute garbage but uh I, i think that's a really neat aspect of this game like they seem to really be speaking directly to the player about it saying like, here's what this game is. Uh, we want to welcome you into it. Yeah, that's really true. They, they, and, and also from that main menu, they've got links directly to their incredibly beautiful manual. And the manual is another way that they're like speaking directly to the player with lots of notes, you know, signed in their names and written in the first person by the developers kind of describing their work to you. So this does feel like, yeah, our tour is kind of a great, term for it here it's a they're clearly very comfortable with kind of describing this as their work and putting themselves into it and even sort of signing their name on it in very obvious ways shane you mentioned a garbage discord you know what is not a garbage discord (laughs) the short game discord our discord shout out to all the people that are uh chatting us up in our discord shout out actually we've been trying i've been trying to get in the rhythm of talking about our patreon at the start and end of every episode and i've still not quite made that you know internal yet so apologies listener for for uh for sticking this in where it doesn't belong but hey did you know that this podcast is supported exclusively by our listeners on on Patreon, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show, which we deeply appreciate, but you can also join our Discord, which is a great way to chat with us about the games that you're playing, about the games that we're playing, uh, recommend games to the show, and we have nice off-topic channels as well, where we're talking about things like long games that we're playing and other random stuff. And uh, maybe you'll be interested in this. Uh, As a sort of pseudo-sequel to Bird Week, we're currently planning a crab week episode in our discord. So if what? you, if you have a favorite video game crab, we want to hear about it. Come chat with us about all of the favorite crabs of all of video games in our discord right now. So currently happening on the anodyne Two discord is a conversation about the Saturn, which I never played because my parents did not believe in video games. Suck it parents. I have a podcast now. Yeah. But I'll say 
to bring it back on topic, that all <laughs> of that conversation <laughs> about uh, the Saturn and 3D worlds and nostalgic uh, made me realize that even if you don't have that pull, there's still other things you'll be nostalgic for. Greg, you mentioned that manual. It is wonderful to put you in that old school mindset to just look at a what looks like a Game Boy manual and then you start flipping through it and it gives you all the guides, but it's for a modern game. So even if you don't have a specific, you don't look at this art style and go, ah, yes, this is me. For me, my way in was I looked at it. I looked at all the throwback stuff and I thought this is some people have compared it to David Lynch. To me, it's more like Spike Jones, like the guy who did um, Being John Malkovich or mm. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's as if he made a Zelda game. Yeah. And all that consummate weirdness. And so I really enjoyed having that kind of uh, surreal quality, but it was surreal for a purpose. It's surreal for a story. Uh, so if you like that kind of weird combo, that's the feeling I got. And it's I got a tiny bit of that DNA in Anodyne 1, but it comes through much, much, much more in this one. That's really true. So uh, we should start talking a little more specifically about Anodyne 2. If you played Anodyne 1, uh, it was that 2D uh, top-down Zelda-like, and that is here, but it is now a much smaller part of the game because this game adds on a full 3D world. Um, and so the sort of gimmick of this game is that you are playing as and we'll talk about the, the the story of the game in a moment. This is a lot more story than Anodyne One as well. Um, the but you're playing as the Nano Cleaner Nova, whose uh, special power is that she's going around to various people in the world of the game and uh, kind of doing a dive inside of them by shrinking to nano scale and going inside of them to clean them clean their minds of nano dust, which is a sort of pollutant that causes mental sickness sickness it kind of it kind of implies that the the beings of this world are immortal uh and this this sickness like doesn't kill them but makes them like inoperable basically mm -hmm. so um i was thinking of like uh like grim fandango you know how it would get bloomed or whatever oh, right. yeah it, it's kind of like that uh, it sounds awful. It it does, and so that's sort of the 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 whole gimmick of the game is that you've got this fairly large. I wouldn't quite call it an open world, but by comparison to something like Anodyne One, like a truly large world to explore, all in three D. And the three D is you know the uh, the two D stuff has the still the the sort of SNES or thereabouts style of graphics from Anodyne One, very similar to Anodyne One, but the uh, so the three D is similarly retro, but in a way that I think is really charming. And so it's got this very early low poly, low res texture three D look that looks pitch perfect, like three D worlds from like Laura was saying the Sega Saturn. Or, uh, Nate, you were saying this reminded you a lot of, like, early MMOs. Yeah, so a lot of my touch on for that era of games is uh, MMOs. So it, it definitely reminded me of uh, late EverQuest and early World of Warcraft. Um, but I think the Saturn makes a lot of sense, too. And I don't know if you said it exactly, like, the... the um, so the 3D world, it's like the overworld. And then the gimmick is that when you go into the 
mind of the thing you're going to clean, that's when it enters into the 2D world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so essentially you're you're going into characters and the characters in the 3D world are like the dungeons in a Zelda game. Each person yeah. kind of contains their own little mini world, which is sort of like the, the dungeon to solve. It's very Psychonauts. Yeah, actually, extremely Psychonauts. Oh my gosh, yeah. This game might as well be Psychonauts. I think that's a bit of an overstatement, but sure. <laughs> Psychonauts, it's still a 3D environment when you go inside. This one, you're suddenly in a 2D world. Yeah, I was thinking about it because I I was thinking they must have like, you know, like when you're designing a game, like what was what was the idea? And it was like, okay, we want to do a game that is both 2D and 3D. So we have to have a reason why you would switch between the two. And I have to imagine that's where this like idea about going into someone's mind and cleaning it because it kind of feels right. You're out in a big world. Uh, running around, you can be a car, uh, which is a, a really goofy thing. Okay, uh, I want to talk then, about that, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I know that, like, I, that was like, you I can't love just that. say that. You can't just say that and move on. I definitely, uh, uh, you know, knew that. But um, it, it made a lot of sense to me that, like, so they wanted, like, a big world and a little world, right? So that big world is 3D, little world is 2D. So why not have it be outside of people's minds is 3d inside of people mind people's minds is 2d i think it's a really smart and it's sort of like a you know we talk a lot about the show where a, a game mechanic fuels the story or fuels like the idea um mm-hmm. and they kind of like go hand in hand and i thought this was a really cool example of that um because like it it just it feels right that you jump into their mind now it's 2d when you're done with it you're back into the real world and it's 3d Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing that I think is a big distinction between the first Anodyne and this game is that it goes much, um, it, it has a lot more of, I guess, a more obvious story to it. The first Anodyne, the story was told in a very sort of surreal way. It was mostly sort of, it felt as if what you were seeing was sort of a representation of, or not representation, but like a, like a, a surreal stand-in for psychological or or philosophical concepts. Uh, it felt very much like you were exploring the psyche of a person um, and not seeing, it was all figurative. You weren't seeing the reality of what was going on. You were seeing exclusively sort of the interior of someone's mind in a way that was very, um, you know, n- not representational, if that makes sense. It was metaphorical. Thank you. A lot you. of things were stand-ins for real life things or you'd go into someone's mind and you would see you know things on fire and they'd be angry and some of that dna does come forward in this game yeah but it especially comes forward in the in the sort of mental space of the characters it's almost as if all of anodyne one could theoretically be the interior space on a much larger scale because that gives a full game whereas the the like the dungeons so to speak here are actually fairly modest in size um but like it, it feels a bit as if not just from the art style, that the the style of Anodyne 1 is clearly represented in the moments when you go inside someone's mind and you're exploring their psyche, whereas the outer world of Anodyne, it's still weird, it's still surreal, It's but it's also very consistent. It has a story that has a through line, characters, um, you know, A to B to C, it, it's much more inherently consistent than Anodyne was. And I think that's really what the series needed. It, it still got that sort of very sort of lynchy, uh, you know, surreality to it 
full of surprises and odd characters with motivations that are unclear, but it feels like a world in a way that I didn't really think that Anodyne 1 kind of did. To me, the map of Anodyne 1 was really tying each element, each dungeon to the environment. Swamplands had things that were foggy. Haunted places had ghosts, but it was environmental. This one, instead of exploring areas like a forest or a swamp, you're exploring people yeah. or actually really weird beings. They're not even people, but and they're sentient clearly, but really weird like rock things or bird things or worm things. That's who you're exploring. So it's not so much worried about exploring a place, but exploring someone's current therapy needs their headspace basically yeah so i want to talk a little bit about the world of the game because it's so good yeah so in in this game um you are sort of uh you're a creature uh, or a, a being who has been created for this one purpose and this one purpose alone of uh going into people's minds and bodies and 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 curing them of the disease of this dust and you're you are created by uh, you got two moms, you know, because it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's a good that's a you know that's a very normal family is what I would say about this, and um, so you get sent out from an egg, uh, in which you know you first you have to hatch out of your egg by talking to various egg yolks who yes. live in there with yolk you robes. and yolk robes, and you are curing them of their of their dust infections. And then you are talking to, I want to say it was a giant lizard who controls some sort of ley line of power, which you must ride out of your egg, which is how normal things hatch. Um, There's a very strange world. Did I miss anything so far? Uh, not, a, not exactly. Once you've hatched, you talk to your two mommies who are C. Yes, you're, talk, you're in the center. So you got, who are they again? Sorry. Yes, so there's, there's, a, so there's your two mommies, C. Psalmist. Uh, that's P-S-A-L-M-I-S-T. And then there's uh, Palisade. And so they're, they're your two guardians. Palisade, one is a uh, harpist and one is a singer, I believe. Sort of, yeah. So I think uh, C. Psalmist is the singer and she's responsible for uh, teaching you about your 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 task, your, uh, your role in the world as the nano cleaner. And then uh, Palisade, is uh you know she's the she's the emotional mommy she's there to teach you uh, or or to to caretake your emotional needs in order to ensure that you're able to carry out your nano cleaner tasks without you know interruption essentially um and so these you have uh, once you finally hatch out of your egg uh and I should also say that part of the hatching process that becomes very important later on is that in order to hatch, you have to collect some things in order to get a glandilock seed. And the glandilock seed is a part of the center itself. The center is the the kind of, I don't know, god of this world or the uh, the sort of central being uh, of the everything, world. Everything is made in the shadow of the center. Exactly. I and guess it's your it's your third mommy. Yes, exactly. And uh, so many mommies. And so the, nah. the, the center places the glandilock seed into your head and that allows you to that I think gives you your powers or otherwise like lets you control them or something like that. It's uh it's sort of your direct connection to the power of the center. And so all of that is to say that once you've had all of this uh sort of tutorial 
uh, you're now set loose in the world of New Zealand, which is the land that the center has created. And New Zealand is a weird, weird world populated by weird characters. Lots of them are, you know, just just the the like strangest 3D models you've ever seen uh, wandering around in this sort of kind of weird hub and spoke shaped city. Uh, and uh, your goal is to just sort of explore and and uh, talk to everyone that you can and find out if anyone needs nano cleaning, if they need cleaning of their dust and start cleaning the dust out of their brains. I definitely like that the name of the place is, you, you pronounce it Thieland, uh, but it's also just the land, mm. like you also said. And Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking, the land. That yeah, definitely... yeah. I, I suppose that's more like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was obviously was thinking it was kind of rhyme with like Zealand, like New yeah, Zealand. Exactly. No, I think it's like if a robot, you know, God was making the land. What would it be called? Oh, the land. The land. <laughs> yep. New the land. The land. Yeah. What came before New the land? New the land. Final dot doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to I want to talk about something real quick, which I I feel like I I don't know how to put this exactly, but the the thing that I want to stress about this is that like this at per, at least at the very start of the game feels like an absolute onslaught of random nonsense, and uh, it, it it can feel a little bit like it's just throwing almost nonsensical. Uh, like world building that's designed to not make sense at you on mass, and it can feel a little bit at the start like, well, this just indicates that they're kind of being I don't know random for its own sake or trying to uh, trying to dazzle me with their weirdness or something. And initially, I thought that was going to kind of turn me off, um, but they really carry this through, and so I don't want to talk too much about this stuff in terms of the uh, in terms of the. Um, like, I don't want to get into spoilers, at least not at this point. We might have a spoiler break towards the end of the show where we talk about some of the mid and end game details. But I do want to yeah. say that like the, the, the developers care about this world as weird as it is, as full of strange stuff as it is, the developers really care about the characters and world that they're setting up here. And they have gone to great lengths to like set up something that may be weird but has a certain internal consistency and even stuff that seems like a one-off random thing at the beginning of the game often has some weird payoff towards the end of the game. Yeah. I, I well, I, it's a, it's a great call out Regan. I think the way they accomplish this is um, there's definitely a lot of silly randomness yeah. for, that's played for humor um, and, and while, while it may pay off or not later, like I, I do believe the intent is to like build a world of, of a little bit of wackiness and a little bit of silliness, but they also balance it with a lot of stuff that is almost incoherently self-serious, mm -hmm. right? That you can tell yes. that like they have a deep concept of the lore and like the purpose of this world in this game that like you your understanding of it builds and builds and builds but there are times where you're just reading and it's like i have no idea what this is talking about but i can tell that like whoever wrote it definitely has 
So for example, I'm going to read a, uh, a screen grab that I, I got from uh, C. Psalmist, who is talking uh, at one point in the game. And this is, I think, an example of the sort of seriousness that they also add into this game. So it says, C. Psalmist sings, Blessed are they who walk along the path of their creation, who radiate clean- cleanliness from the center as light is cast from a flame. The fool says... I am the center. They are like an arrogant flower, sprouting early to mock the winter's cold. The wicked shall wither before they blossom, their machinations crumbling to dust. But the righteous bloom in season. The work of their hands is blessed. Their radiance is a joy to the ones they love, their leaves a comfort and a shade. So that just gets dropped right in the middle of like a weird little worm guy who like wants to have a football or something, you know, like, like <laughs> Charlie yes. Brown joke. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so there's these scenes where you're just like, I like I could take that and digest and really break a, apart all of it. But there's that's like over half the writing is that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, and, and it's like you don't even really I, I don't know. In my experience, I wasn't breaking it down and I wasn't really earnestly trying to understand what C. Psalmist was saying in that but it was building a world where it's like there's clearly something that is like meaningful going on here and I'm going to learn it through the story and I'm going to learn it as I play um, and I think that added that balance that made all of the wackiness at least feel more purposeful and, and thought about than just like oh boy like you know fuzzy penguins are strange right or or whatever our you know random stuff would be yeah the, the writing in the game is really something i mean they, they just have this magical ability to switch between like absurdity and poetry and and let you kind of live in both and it's it's just so i don't know it there are that's a perfect example nate of like a moment where just the it just interjects some little element of like truly poetic writing that stands out all the more because it's stuck in in a moment when people are being silly and and things are being strange and bizarre and I mean there were tons of those in this game I have I took a bunch of screenshots too and I'm not just going to sit here and read them I have some of them that I think are probably spoilers anyway so I'll, I'll keep them to myself but like there were tons of times in this game where I was like wow that's a great turn of phrase or great little bit of writing and it, it it's really sort of almost reinforcing itself by by occasionally being silly. It's really it's really yeah. a, it's really something. I personally I think it's the writing in this game and the other games that I've played of them, particularly you know even the ocean. It's the writing that sets these games apart because the overworld is cool and interesting and strange, and the two D uh, dungeon crawling is fun and mm. simple and way and better. I mean, we can come to it later, but way better in this game than in, in Anodyne one, like the, the dungeon design is, is good here. I it's, thought. V- it's very concise, at yeah. least as far as I get very concise and very, um, effective and fun. Uh, but like other than the fact that this game switches between genres a ton, it's really the, like the world in the writing that made it feel so uniquely so just so unique Mm -hmm. yeah it's something that I was talking with my husband about it and he was saying that it's because it has that self-serious tone and it's it's so clever it's not necessarily a game that you are um, giggling at like Wonder Song or necessarily laughing out loud at like in the woods there's a lot of things that you're like like for me the stuff I really laughed at were like 
the unexpected changes, like when a character named Ray Ray Boatshoes shows up. Or, um, <laughs> By the way, changing my Twitter time, bio to Ray Ray Boatshoes. As you I know, right? very well should. Um, and every time you go into um, one of the dungeons, they have a joke pun title. Um, for example, uh, one of them says Infernal Bleeding. <laughs> okay. Um, that's the kind, or, or you walk around and you look up on the wall and there's a piece of graffiti that says environmental storytelling. Like, <laughs> if you think that stuff is funny, this is a game for you. If you think that stuff is just clever and it doesn't tickle you, like, maybe it's not right. But if it hits you, it hits you hard. So I think it's kind of hard to get a feeling for like what this game is actually like without talking about some specific examples. And I think it might be worth talking through maybe a couple of the early game kind of quote unquote dungeons, uh, some of the people that you encounter and what happens when you nano clean them. Um, the, the very first one that I ran into was, so you get out of the center, which is sort of the, the you know, the center spoke of this of this island. And uh, you're let loose in the city center, which is sort of like a little mini city full of little 3D characters. And the very first thing that I did was sort of like wander around looking for, I don't know, buildings. And I wandered into the house of Mysteria Wazel. And uh, the house is this sort of weird, ominous, sci-fi cube looking thing. And there's this horrible baby standing outside saying that he's been hearing weird noises coming from inside. God, some of the characters in this are just like unsettling, like the weird gigantic baby. And so I go into the house and inside it's full of lamps, like thousands of lamps. And inside is Mysteria Wazel, a character who is uh, obsessed with lampshades. And she's got a collection of literally thousands of lampshades in there. Uh, and so uh, you, uh, something's wrong with her. She, she's, uh, uh, she's, I forget exactly what her, uh, what, what, it, how it describes her sort of mental issue. But basically, I think she's sort of a shut-in and a hoarder. And you're, you can zap her with your spark. This is your kind of way of shrinking inside of somebody. And now you're suddenly in the interior life, in the brain of Mysteria Wazel, and you're trying to, I don't know, cure her of her dust. And a quick second before you get into that, you play a rhythm game. Right. Let's talk about the uh, the dimension dive mini game that you do every time you're going into somebody's brain. Yeah, I, well, I, I mentioned earlier that this game definitely plays with a lot of different genres. Uh, the most notably that we've already discussed is the 2D and 3D, uh, you know, worlds. But what game, what good game doesn't have a, 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 a rhythm mini game in it, right? There are two parts of this that I really love. One is I'm a sucker for a rhythm game, and it's just pointing your joystick if you're playing with a controller in the right direction. So it's something simple. It gets you in this nice groove. You feel like you're moving forward. Uh, it, it's it, it's kind of like a uh, combat at an angle where things are coming at you, you're pointing in the right direction, um, like a much easier guitar hero, for example. And then if you get past that little thing, you have reached the person you're diving into their brain and you do this, you hit this excellent animation where you do almost like a balletic soar into the air and you spin around and you slowly spin into their brain. It's just one of the best little transition sequences at least to me that I've seen in a while, because it 
takes you from 2D to 3D, and it doesn't feel like it's just a... Uh, it's just an animation. You actually get to do something. It feels like an effort to get in someone's head, which is something I appreciated quite a bit. Yeah, yeah I, it gets I love more that. And more complicated, you know. Yeah, if you watch the trailer for this, they they have a couple of shots of that, and it, it was sort of one of the more standout, like visual, cool moments. And it, it just feels like an event rather than a button press. Yeah, yeah, and it's also like you know, you, it's a. Uh, it's a moment where like it really isolates your character model and the character model of the person that you're about to, you know, brain dive. And uh, like it does different lighting than in the general overworld. And it just gives you a moment to really like look at this, I guess, person that you're uh, yeah. you're going inside of. And I, I agree. It's just a really, really good transition. And I'm not the I'm not like a huge fan of rhythm games, particularly this style of like you know, you hit left when it tells you to hit left, you hit right when it tells you to hit right. But the, uh, the, you know that it's about to happen and the amount of time that you have to do it is very short. So it, I actually really enjoyed this. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty small piece of the game, but it's a really nice little transition to make. Yeah. It's a fun little break. Mm -hmm. And then of course you're in the actual dungeon. And um, I mean, I'm not going to go through any specific examples here, but I I will say that the, the way that the dungeons are designed are small manageable dungeons uh, which is I think very good because there are a lot of it's, I, I I sort of prefer like a larger number of smaller dungeons I mean this is sort of how I feel about the uh, like Breath of the Wild like I prefer the design of Breath of the Wild with like literally hundreds of tiny little micro dungeons versus you know an overworld with seven massive brain killer dungeons um, and that's sort of what this game does each time you go into somebody's head it's a Micro dungeon is kind of what I'd describe them as. There are these, you know, fairly modest. They all have a map. They all, ha- you know, that auto maps for you. Um, you know, there's n- never any like ultra complicated multi-level business going on here. It's all 2D, and um, but they also usually have a kind of a central gimmick that you're playing with. They introduce some new type of enemy or new type of uh, hazard, and uh, they have little challenges that build on each other. I think this is just straight up good uh, level design. And I mean, they did a pretty good job with this in Anodyne 1, but this, I think the the sort of general dungeon design here is so much more pleasing than it was in yeah. Anodyne 1. And you know, just like any dungeon crawler, you want a dungeon that is definitely heavily big tongue based, right? You want, a, you want a big long tongue that you use to lick a bunch of different stuff. And you really want to have an NPC in there that like really enjoys being licked by this giant tongue. Not okay right? with that. Just, <laughs> just even you mentioning it is making me like, you guys can't see me, but I'm literally my, my shoulders are by my ears. And I'm, I'm the thought of that weird tongue skin creature licking everything is just making my skin crawl. Disagree entirely. That is when the game. Cannot handle it. <laughs> emotionally being licked by giant tongues is a really really divisive topic and i don't think it's the subject of our podcast i think we're gonna have some listeners who would like nothing more than to be licked by a giant (sighs) tongue but i think maybe 50 percent of our listeners are gonna really not like the idea of a big slobbery wet meaty tongue is it slobbery size of a refrigerator (laughs) covered in in warty, horrible tongue uh, 
taste buds. It's it's definitely warty. Whether it's wet and slobbery, you can't tell. Listeners, listeners, there's going to be a new tier on our Patreon. And if you you back at the $25 a month level, you can join the special channel on our Discord where we RP details. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be like a fully immersive RP about being licked by a giant tongue. And Shane's going to DM it. if there's any listeners like me, they have turned off this podcast and run (laughs) for the hills. Listeners, delete your subscription. This podcast is being shut down forever. (laughs) If you're a current member of the Discord, you can upgrade to $30 to have yourself removed from that Discord. (laughs) Uh, Because otherwise, here it comes. Yeah. God. So, yeah, like, we don't need to go into a whole lot of detail here about the specifics of the... We just did. We decided to talk about the ton dungeon and not the like toxic masculinity or like the, the, the beautiful story about a man surviving his family like yeah. no 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 we go straight to the tongue content <sighs> yeah. yeah well that's nice. what we're all about on this uh, on this podcast tongue content uh, we know what the people want yeah yep. uh, so yeah there's there's very good dungeons <laughs> and we can probably leave it at that um now <laughs> um but um, I will say that like the, the world slowly expands, so obviously you'll you'll explore the city and collect all of the dust out of the brains of the various citizens, and you'll collect cards. And the sort of back and forth of the game is you'll collect cards to upgrade the dust prism, which is where you store all of your dust, and then you'll fill up that dust prism with dust. And the fuller and larger that prism gets, the more that it unlocks other areas of the world for you and a kind of an expanding radius of, of, uh, of world. So um, once you fully expand that, you get quite a lot of world to explore with quite a lot of characters, all of which have their own little mini dungeons inside of them. And it, it, it continues to surprise with new dungeon ideas and also uh, larger and more interesting and varied areas of the overworld and the 3D area. And I I just, I found exploring this game to be like a real treat. I, I really liked it a lot. To me, this is what made this a good short game. And that was not not because I finished it, because I didn't, but it was because I wanted to parcel this game out. Um, this game has, we've talked about this really rich detailed language, this really surrealist bent. It's got all this imagery and like uh, those kind of specialty directors we keep name dropping, <laughs> I wanted the world to stay special. And so when I started uh, looking at something that was quirky and delightful and weird and just kind of accepting it as the norm, I would finish the dungeon. I would go drop off my dust and canisters. I would stop. And, and the game is beautifully gated that every couple dungeons, you fill up your tank, you fill up your cards, you go to the center and you get to say, do I want to keep going? And if you are in a receptive mood, you can. But if you've had your fill, you can stop. And for me, I really like a game that lets me gobble or lets me snack. I, I don't like it when the game forces me to marathon it. Uh, this game is really nicely. There's a ton of checkpoints. There are a tons of times, you know, little dungeons you can go in and out of. And I like a game you can quit easily if it's got a very specific taste. Because I will want to be there for an hour and immerse myself and then step back. And I appreciate that very much about this game. It, it is weird to to praise a game for letting me quit it. But honestly, I value that so much. Totally. I don't want to get into a spoiler territory quite yet, but I, I, 
I will say that this game continues to surprise right until the end, um, and it does that sometimes by shifting up the sort of gameplay that it's offering. So I don't think we need to get into this just yet, but I will say that like there's a there's a big mid game surprise shift, I would say sort of twist uh, that I thought was extremely exciting and interesting. And then even very near the late game, um, there are some moments where the game becomes an entirely different sort of game uh, with different gameplay and even totally different graphics and and characters and style and just really big shifts where it's clear these like developers had ideas that they couldn't quite fit couldn't quite squeeze into uh, Anodyne 2 as is and decided to throw some other kitchen sink stuff in there just for flavor and weirdness. Um, so this game is like full of surprises. A to Z, totally surprising. And Laura said she hadn't finished the game. I have, I finished it this afternoon. Um, it is about 10 hours, which I think is a sweet spot for us. And I thought it was like 100% full of surprises right to the very end. And I had an absolutely wonderful time with it. We've done a lot of games for this show, and a lot of times we can sort of tie it like, oh, this is like a stew of, you know, these other games, right? And then every once in a while we come across a game that maybe lives in a a gameplay mechanic that we're all familiar with, like in this one, a 2D dungeon or a 3D uh, platformer, but feels unlike any of the other games that that you've ever played that exists in that genre. Uh, This is one of those games. Between the writing and the world building and uh, some of the gameplay, it is just a a really unique experience. And I think a credit to the uh, developers that they continue to manage to do this. They continue to like put out these games that are very much their own thing. Yeah, totally. mentioned it earlier and we, we it's checkoffs turn into a car uh and we can't not uh at least complete that discussion and it, it is i think a a great uh quality of life choice that they added to this game that just continues to add to the overall like insanity and, and so i think it would enhance my quality of life just dramatically if i could turn into a car now, are they the? Is it you turn into a car or are you inside of the car? Oh no, you definitely turn into a car. So the yeah. way that it describes it in the context of the game is, you know, uh, Nova, the nano cleaner, has her na- normal scale, and then she can also shrink to nano scale, but then she can scale up to ride scale. So she's definitely turning into the car. She is the car. Uh, it's great. So the the 3D world is big and if you were like me and you played the MMO games you know they would you just had to like walk these distances and sometimes the uh, a lot of the game would be like all right we got to travel this far and it's just like all right I'm gonna hold shift which makes me run and I'm gonna spend like 10 minutes running across this plane uh, in the in this game you get to turn into a car and <laughs> if only I had that if only that existed in um EverQuest, but uh, um, you, I, I don't know about you guys, but for the life of me, I was horrible at driving the car, though. It was like, thing can turn on a dime, and that meant that, like, at least with my DS4 plugged into my computer, I was 
whipping all over the place. Uh, hard to drive in a straight line, but it was very, very convenient to just be like, oh, I need to go over there. I don't have to run and just turn into a car uh, <laughs> and zoom over there and turn back into a normal uh Normal is not the right word, but turn back into Nova. I really appreciated that it was fast to turn into the car and turn back. It sort of is what the game does instead of giving you a run button. And yeah. I uh, I loved it. It, it was like it, it does change the way that it controls. Like It's not quite the sort of like full 360 point in any direction and go of like walking around as Nova. Um, but once you turn into that car, you can really zoom. And the, the game world, the overworld in the 3D sort of mode of the game uh, has little highways that kind of go from area to area. And so that really made it like fun to like, you know, you'd, you'd kind of get up onto the highway and like zip along to a new area. And then once you got there, you'd take an off ramp sort of and uh, kind of explore around the, you know, the off road area of each zone. Yeah. And I just liked that structure a lot. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed being a car. <laughs> yeah. There was also a car wash. Uh, oh, and yeah. it actually, it's, flaps actually like moved as you went through them which was like okay this game has slightly better uh graphics and like computations than most of the games from the era that it is uh you know that it is uh imitating oh yeah because on the saturn game, they would have spent their whole budget on those little car wash flaps <laughs> yeah you, or you would have just gone you clip right through them and it'd be like oh all right you know totally um yeah i i really liked that about it i i also there was in the 3D world of the game, I mean, we're not talking too much about the, the 2D stuff because it is basically little mini versions of Anodyne 1, but the Anodyne 2 stuff, the 3D world is is all new. Um, I was really taken aback by how much I loved the, the look and architecture of some of the structures in the 3D world in this game. I took a bunch of screenshots as I was playing through it because every now and then you just turn a corner and there's some just absolutely magnificent shot or weird thing. The game does a little bit of this thing that like PS1 era games often did where it was 3D and very often the camera is sort of pinned behind or controlled, you know, pinned behind Nova or controlled with an analog stick. But sometimes you walk into an area where there's a particularly striking thing to look at and the camera switches to a sort of a fixed perspective. And Sometimes those things were like really, really dramatic and cool. There's this one area that uh, I'm probably not going to do it justice by describing it, but you you go down into a drain at the bottom of a lake and you find yourself in a massive fish tank. And at the end of the fish tank is a sort of a, a sphere of roots sticking up out of the, the one end of the fish tank. And inside of that, is a kind of a clubhouse full of tree enthusiasts. Um, and I mean, that's a weird thing to describe, but like, it's so striking looking, it's so cool looking. And and then there's a, there's there's other, like just random little bits of architecture. There's a, there's a moment where you come around a corner and there is a house shaped like a dinosaur, or is it a dinosaur shaped like a house? And it's moving around and you, you can't go inside of it. You can't even really interact with it. It's just there, and it looks cool. Oh, man. I tried so hard to jump in that. Oh, me too. To jump on the guy's... Like he, the dinosaur house lowers its neck down, and I kept trying to jump in its mouth or jump on its head and get up to the... No. Failed every time. Yeah. I had a lot of fun failing. Fortunately, it's not... It's mostly decorative. Um, like, the, the dinosaur house is just there for, for flavor. Um, you know, there were some really cool sort of 60s-looking, like, pods on stilts with weird 
uh, weird floating steps up to them, that kind of thing. And just like the architecture of this stuff. I was just very impressed with the visuals. And given that this is the first 3D game from these people, I I was I was pretty astonished at how cool a lot of the 3D spaces were. Um, so I, I wanted to just sort of call that out because I just, I mean, I was super impressed with it. So this game is pretty, uh, pretty unique and I definitely recommend it. I, I really, really enjoyed it um, much more than I did Anodyne 1 and I liked Anodyne 1. This is a, a like a huge, I, I guess like evolution on that game. So I 100% recommend this game to folks. It is out right now on PC and Mac. It's on Steam and itch.io and um, I, I can't recommend it enough. I played it on Mac and it worked just fine and it uh, plays on, I think it'll play on pretty much any computer you decide to throw it at and also uh, worked great with a uh, DualShock 4 in my case, uh, just plugged in. So, you know, go for it. Um, and it is not processor intensive because I played it while burning a disc accidentally and it still worked. <laughs> you burned a disc accidentally. No, I burned a disc. I, I thought I had paused it, <laughs> but it was still processing the uh, the conversion. And I normally I don't try to do two processor intensive things at the same time. It's a way to crash games. It went fine. You were so. burning. Uh, Follow up question: You were burning a disc in 2019 <laughs> from a disc. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. I see. Well, you're right. Yeah, it is a it is a fairly like I think one of the benefits of going for this retro aesthetic is that it is uh, not particularly processor intensive, apparently. And like it, it definitely ran really, really well on my iMac. But I, I get the feeling that this would run on practically anything, which is a plus. Um, I was actually a little worried about that, uh, but it ran great. And you can find this. I mentioned that you can find this game on itch or on Steam. It is $19.99, and I 100% recommend it at that price. I think it took me almost exactly 10 hours to complete. There is an in-game clock, and uh, it's uh, exactly on the nose at 10 hours for me right now. And I, I played to the bad ending, and then reloaded a save and played to the good ending, and that was exactly 10 hours. So, um, highly recommended. Um, we are going to have a spoiler break. Uh, after our uh, after our conclusion here. So if you are interested in listening to us chat about some of the late game developments and surprises, you can stick around for that. Uh, before, uh, I'll uh, start with what's making us happy this week. So uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I got a uh, two things. I'm going to cheat. Uh, one is that uh, Chicory is on a Kickstarter and I was able to play the demo. For people who aren't familiar, it is... A uh, game from the creator of Wonder Song, and it's also got music from the composer from Celeste. So those two things, plus the fact that it is a drawing dog named Pizza as the main character, uh, all of those things are delightful. The demo is great. Uh, highly recommend you check out that Kickstarter. Um, since that's not something anyone else can play, I also want to give something else. Um, I recommend. Uh, the show uh, Glow Season 3. Uh, it was very entertaining. Um, they're stuck in Vegas. If you've watched the other shows, uh, seasons, 
they're stuck in Vegas, but they get to delve into the characters a lot more since they're kind of stuck in one place. It's very wonderful. I can't wait to watch that. I really liked season one and two, and I've kind of got such a backlog of TV. I'm, I'm Every time you guys recommend a TV show in this segment, um, I kind of add it to my backlog. I'm still working through uh, um, Stranger Things season three that Nate mentioned in What's Making Us Happy this week, like two weeks ago. Uh, but now I, I definitely need to make time to do season three of Glow because I just really liked season one and two, especially season one. But I, I just can't wait and to go back to it. And half hour episodes. Right. When That's do you get that call. anymore? I know. I haven't watched any of Glow, but that is one of the best endorsements I've heard of the show. I'm a huge fan of Allison Brie from Community. She rules. Uh, and so and, uh, you know, she's Mad Men too, but Community is is where I know her best from. Uh, if you want to see her play an antihero, check out Glee. <laughs> Check out Glow, not Glee. Sorry, not Glee. Glow. <laughs> Different yeah, show. It's like, wait. <laughs> You're like, wait, she's in Glee? No, Alison yeah. Brie is not in Glee. Definitely um, not. Nate, what's making you happy this week? Um, so this coming weekend, I'm going camping for the first time in like 15 years. <laughs> Ooh. So cool. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so what's making me happy is preparing for a truly midwestern experience of going camping float trip and then camping so i am uh looking forward to it i i enjoy the outdoors and i go out and like run and hike and things like that but a, a pure like stay in a tent i've not done for a very long time so i'm gonna have my nintendo switch i'm gonna play a ton of slay of the spire it's gonna be great <laughs> gonna, be, uh, <laughs> gonna be uh you know finally some peace and quiet now uh i am i'm looking forward to it Mr. Natural over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. that's awesome. Uh, so that's making me happy. The the uh, planning for that. I have a sort of similarly, um, similarly like uh, not specific recommendation. What's making me happy this week? My my week has been characterized by the fact that my wife is out of town and I've been sort of solo dadding this week. And so the thing that's making me most happy is that that's almost done and I've managed to keep my daughter alive the entire time. Hey, yes, you did it. I did it. Yay, she you is, did it. You're done. She, You're well, done. There's no more parenting. None. I've finished all of the parenting. I'm done with it. Yep. Um, I, I will also say just as a as a brief aside, and I, I, I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself because I brought this up on what's making us happy this week uh, multiple times. But um, in the in the minimal amount of spare time I've had between all of the uh, solo dad stuff and the uh, playing of Anodyne 2, uh, I've also uh, been playing a lot more of uh, various games on the Neo Geo and I've had a ton of fun with uh, I've uh, modded an arcade stick this week for the Neo Geo. I finally got the parts in for that and had a lot of fun just sort of doing, you know, swapping buttons and getting the color scheme just the way that I like it and all of that. I mean, it was, it's been a lot of fun to sort of like buy different models of joystick and compare the clickiness of them. I mean, it's, it's the kind of fussiness that I, I really enjoy that sort of like how, how many different ways can you customize this extraordinarily basic piece of technology? And and so buying and, and customizing different joystick parts has been a, like a, a nice sort of calming little project that I've I've had to do, you know, at, in downtime once uh, once Wednesday's been asleep. So um, I recommend that if you have a reason to have a joystick, why not customize it? And also I recommend. Uh, keeping your uh, seven-month-old baby alive—that's a—that's a good—that's a, <laughs> a, a good thing to do. Uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, so those of you who know me uh, have probably heard me talk before about No Man's Sky because this is a yep. game that I continue to go back to over and over and over again. I, I don't know what it is about this game, uh, but for me, it scratches very much the same itch that had me playing uh, Minecraft for many years. Uh, you know, this is, of course, they're both survival games, um, but so they're both they're both games where you know very very little is asked of you in terms of just like okay stay alive but if you don't go back and get your stuff and uh try and figure out your own goals and and grow from there um but no man's sky has continued to kind of grow through all these expansions and now they've had the beyond uh expansion or wait no whatever this is 2.0 whatever they incremented the version number i can't remember the name they gave it but in this new expansion uh they have brought together two things that I already loved. One is PlayStation VR and the other is No Man's Sky and survival gameplay. And being able to go back to this game yet again and continue to see it improve uh, in tons and tons of different ways and then being able to do that all in virtual reality makes this thing that I already loved just so much more immersive. And this is a game that's so much about your presence and your your experience of just being in these unusual places that being able to actually feel like you really are in these places. And, you know, when you see the giant Stegosaurus apotamus uh, with the head of a hippo and the spines of a Stegosaurus, um, and it's like thundering towards you, and it's three times your height and it's like right there. And it that is so awesome and so immersive. And then when you're able to just like, okay, I'm exploring around. I pull out my gun and I, my multi-tool and I start collecting resources and I'm, you know, deforming the terrain and like uh, burning down trees and collecting their carbon and all of this stuff uh, with that first person view with this, um, you know, very accurate pointing device in your hand. Like you're just cruising around and vacuuming up all of these resources. You know, that's the aspect of the game that, you know, for me, it was a very zen kind of podcast game activity is just collecting resources, uh, building bases, um, exploring, scanning, uh, and uh, oh my gosh, flying. And all of those things are things that are just kind of, cool things for me to just do while I maybe have something on in the background. I can chill and it's a, it's a relaxing game and you always feel like you're, you know, growing your base or making progress or getting closer to the next Atlas station or whatever. Um, and, and that's what I love about survival games, you know, building, I don't love a huge degree of difficulty. Uh, I like to kind of grow and, and, and achieve my own goals and uh, gather resources and use them to do things that I choose um, but all of that in, in brought into this new experience. It's it's really compelling. And and the thing is, I, I've had some play sessions of this that lasted way longer than any other VR game I've ever played. Which you would the, probably the next runner up would be Tetris Effect, uh, where I you know definitely had some evenings where I put in a lot of hours on that. But I've had I've had times with this. No Man's Sky VR, where I just put the headset on and uh, 
it's nighttime and I take the headset off and I look at the clock and like hours and hours have gone by and I wasn't feeling sick. And I was, uh, I was just like, you know, I, I've just been playing the game as I always have. Um, the, the, the controls in VR definitely take a lot of getting used to. I was going to ask about that. Does this use a DS4 or does it use the wands, the move controllers? You can use either one. And I've tried it with both because, you know, I don't love the move controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually found myself using the move controllers for this. So maybe I'm gonna have to eat my words because uh, I'm using these much loathed uh, move controllers. The feeling of using the multi-tool with the move controllers and you use the other multi-tool to kind of uh, teleport around. It uses, I, I really like the teleport um, movement in this. That's really good. Like the multi-tool, uh, the, to tell you a little bit about your your controls with the move controllers, um, you basically have hands in this virtual world, which is what you always want when you're using this kind of control. Uh, but on the back of each of your hands, uh, you have these little glowing dots. And if you point to them with the finger of the other hand, like if you bring your hands together, uh, you know, it extends this pointer finger and also like a, a selection circle that's very much like the menu circles uh, that you use in this game. And uh, the menu basically pops up as a hologram off of the back of your hand uh, or off of the back of the multi-tool. And you have the f- you have full access to all of the menus in the game. And they all either appear as the like quick menu on the back of your hand or as a big floating menu in front of you uh, kind of projected diegetically in the world as like a hovering hologram. And so even those, even though this is a game that is a little bit menu heavy, that doesn't feel wrong in VR. And even stuff like crafting worked for me in VR. I, d- I didn't have to, I, I didn't feel like it was a drag. Uh, a lot of that is helped by some of the quality of life improvements that they've made in this version. Like uh, uh, they have, re- they have, all but eliminated the limitation on the size of a stack of any given particular resource. Uh, that's not really the biggest limitation in the game, which is like the number of resource slots that you have, but it's a, it's a huge, huge improvement over uh, what was a little bit of a fiddly, what still is, I guess, a little bit of a fiddly resource management uh, setup. Um, but being able to just say, okay, I'm just going to get all the trees on this entire, in this entire valley until I have a, si- a stack of carbon the size of, like, a skyscraper. Deforestation. Uh, and just, yeah, I just now. teleport around and use my laser to burn all the trees and steal all the carbon. <laughs> uh, or the same thing for rocks. Um, and a, a lot of that stuff where, you know, you were, you were doing a lot of management of, like, inventory space is made a whole hell of a lot easier. Um in terms of controls, No Man's Sky is a game that has tons and tons of different control schemes. You have one control scheme when you're on foot. You have another control scheme when you're in a uh, in a ship. Uh, you have another control scheme if you're in a car or a submarine. Uh, you have, um, in all of those, there's lots of things that you can do and menus that you can pull up. And there's quick menus and there's full menus and uh, so there's a lot going on. There's a crafting interface. So all of that is um, a lot to bring into virtual reality successfully. And I was very surprised to feel that they did. 
the the most challenging part of virtual reality control wise is the core flying gameplay. Um, they give you hands in the cockpit to grab a uh, kind of a throttle and a virtual flight stick. Uh, but when you've grabbed the flight stick, um, you kind of have to change your mentality on it because uh, you're basically clicking your hand around this flight stick. And now it's not so much like you control the hand grabbing the flight stick. It's more like the stick in your hand kind of is the flight stick. And for me, it works best if I kind of then rest it on my knee. Uh, but it's not perfect. So the, my knee then kind of still has to be in a perfect place. Uh, which is its whole own thing. So uh, they could improve on that a little bit. Uh, I really want them to add something that a lot of these VR games have, which is an adjustable floor height. Um, I felt like the floor height uh, while in the cockpit was a little bit low. I wanted I wanted to sit, snuggle a little closer down in the seat, uh, which would have made the controls a little bit more reachable for me as it was. I was reaching down past my knees to grab certain things, which is kind of annoying. Um but yeah, like so, uh, my love of this game uh, continues to grow. Uh, I think it's a great time for anyone who has PSVR or who does not to pick up this game because not mentioned for me. I mean, this is I'm obviously talking a lot about the VR, but they continue to make real game changing updates and improvements. Uh, there's a full, huge multiplayer element to the game now. Uh, they continue to add little immersive elements like, you know, they they have made it so that now the NPCs do a lot more, uh, do just do a lot more in the world. You'll see them out walking around in the world. They'll get in and out of their ships, uh, go and do trading. You can go and talk to them wherever they might be. Uh, they, you know, they and you can basically sit in chairs and stuff like that. They've also <laughs> Ooh, done more. Finally. The, yeah, it actually yeah. is kind of one of those things where people are like, oh, finally, I can sit in chairs. I'm like, okay, yeah. but you know, if that makes the game more immersive for you, that's great. Yeah, um, I have like five five-hour saves on this game, you know? Um, well, I, this is I've also a great time to restart the game. They, yeah. They've reworked the intro. So if you've played that intro a few times, you know that every time they've done one of these big updates, they've changed and refined and tweaked the initial quest that like introduces you to elements of the game. And they've done that again. And it's, it's uh, a big improvement. So I ran through it once on a new save just to see yeah. before going back to my old save. Yeah. I need to do that. Uh, I, and when I say I have like five, five hour uh, saves, like that definitely means that I've started games and restarted and restarted. And I've actually enjoyed it like every time uh, I, I, you know, I've had this game since day one and have followed it just like you uh, for all the, ups and downs of the game. And I, and I have a lot of respect for the game company uh, was hello games that they have like stayed committed and continue to make it better and better and better. I don't have a VR uh, headset. I've been considering buying one. I played some super hot again the other day with a friend's VR. And between that and this, I am starting to finally think, is it time for me to buy a VR headset? Hey, keep an eye out, man. They they uh, they go on sale pretty frequently, or you can pick up a used one if you're comfortable with like wiping it off. Uh, and uh, <laughs> they're not expensive anymore. Like the the PSVR is like can still you? I mean, like you can get a, a PSVR setup for I think like I've seen them on sale brand new for 250 bucks, and you can probably get them even less than that if you yeah have. yeah I I will at some point. Um, 
super hot is the most innovative shooter I've played in years and <laughs> playing it on uh, VR is wonderful. And I think uh, this game sounds great on it. Um, it's cool that they pulled it off. And I think when you have, when you think about like what VR would be, like what would it be cool to have in VR? I think this is definitely sort of what you've always had in mind, like exploring galaxies, right? Mm, totally. uh, and, and I think uh, if they've found a way to make it immersive with the technology as it is today, then that is the most compelling argument for VR that I've heard so far. So awesome. I'm so glad cool. to hear that it's continued to improve and that the PSVR version is as good as you say. It's very exciting. It's not short, though. Yeah, that's true. And uh, neither was this discussion of it, but that's OK. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move on to uh, some admin outro and then we'll talk about spoiler stuff for Anodyne 2. So first of all, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, if you didn't know, and how did you miss it at the beginning of the show, we are supported by our listeners on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a wonderful platform. I mean, it's got its issues, but hey, we like it and we are happy to have the support of our listeners. And if you want to join all of our listeners who are supporting us, you can go to patreon.com slash the short game or go to the short game.net and you can click on the Patreon link at the top of the page. And uh, you can support us uh, even at a dollar a month. Uh, you get access to our Discord, which is a great way to chit-chat with us about the short games that we're playing or with Shane about No Man's Sky. And uh, we also have some channels there where we talk about other games that we're playing, other stuff that's going on. And as I mentioned earlier, we are planning Crab Week. Come talk with us about We finally crabs. have hit, we finally have found the compelling argument for our Discord. Yes, absolutely. So come join in and as we plan Crab Week. Uh, we're looking for the best video game crabs. Um, if you uh, if you want to find us on the web, you can find us at underscore short game on Twitter, or you can find our website at www.theshortgame.net. We've also got a contact form there, which is a great way to drop us a line if you have suggestions about short games that we should be covering. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And also, uh, a couple a couple episodes ago, I put out a call to action, a call to arms, if you will. Uh, we were sitting at 68 reviews on iTunes, and clearly there was a, a big-time incentive to uh, to get that next one. And I, and I have to say... Uh, listeners, you 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 really took the call and pushed us up to seventy one. Uh, you're t- you're telling me we're not? We skipped right over sixty nine. We skipped right. Uh, now, so I don't know who did it. It doesn't. Nice. Give, it doesn't give me. Yeah, it doesn't give me timestamps to the specific degree. But I have some shout outs and something that is really really cool is that uh, we got. A review from a listener in South Africa. Interesting. Who goes by the name of Zero One. And they wrote really, really awesome things saying a must if you're interested in the impact short games can have. So really, really nice things. We had a listener from the Netherlands uh, by the name of Backer Joe Ree. I probably blew that up. But uh, they said really, really nice things as well. And then we also had uh, on the American side of iTunes, uh, someone by the name of 
Bendy6364 uh, talking about our episode on Doki Doki Literature Club and recommending a game for us. So uh, we're at 71. I don't know who got number, uh, you know, right after 68, but in my <laughs> in my heart, all three of you did. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, your very kind reviews. We really, really do appreciate it. And uh, next goal, let's hit 75. Yes. Uh, it's a great way. You know, we, we have the Patreon and we appreciate any, everyone that's part of it, but also understand that that is not realistic for everyone. So uh, another way to support the show is just come and tell us something nice uh, in iTunes. It actually helps us show up better in search results and whatnot. Yeah. Thanks very much to all of you guys. And uh, of course, Shane. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on a randomly generated planet called Waragurf. <laughs> uh, and also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the short game. Here it is, your spoiler break. So there are a few things that I wanted to talk about about this game that are definitely spoilers. So here we are past the spoiler break. Um, I wanted to talk about specifically there's a sort of a big mid game twist that I thought was really effective from a storytelling perspective. And then there were some really clever gameplay things that happened a little later that I was also wanted to talk about because I just was I thought they were really clever and cool. So um, first off, about midway through this game, there is a uh, you get sort of sent to through a variety of weird twists and turns in the story you you find yourself in what's called the dustbound village which is so the, the game has been setting up very much that you are like you're you know you are uh, an instrument of the center and your job is to destroy the dust and of course that has this sort of vaguely ominous tone to it and of course you eventually meet some people who are outside of that system and uh, the Dustbound are a group of people who live outside of the center's light. And so, of course, unlike you, who are you know filled with the purpose of the center uh, and don't need to, for example, eat or sleep, they do. Uh, they eat, they sleep, they grow old, they die. You you wander into their village as they're uh, sort of celebrating or, or you know, commemorating a funeral. Um, and... Uh, the contrast is really, really something. And it's also the thing that I love most about this is that there is a moment where, you know, you wander into this village and these people are talking to you. And up to this point, it didn't even occur to me, of course, this character, Nova, is a silent protagonist. But they start talking to Nova and Nova it does some things with like Nova's like inner monologue, which you've seen before is like text printed on screen, but Nova is realizing that she doesn't know how to talk. And then she has to learn how to talk because she's, you know, she has to talk to these, these dust bound people. I just thought that was like the, and then from that point forward, she's no longer a silent protagonist. She has a voice. And I thought that was such a cool transition. I, it was really like a great moment. And it's like the, the whole idea of like these, you know, encountering these people and they teach uh, Nova to speak and is, is, is great. And I, I just, this whole section of the game is just like truly like really, really good. I, I really, really thought it was like great writing, uh, great story beats, um, some really clever sort of gameplay loops where Nova is, uh, you know, interacting with the dustbound and that means she has to do things like help them with their farming participate in their professional wrestling which is the thing that they do there 
uh, and also kind of commemorate um, like Palisade, her, you know, her sort of emotional support mommy uh, via like weird rituals that she performs there. Like it's just it's just a really cool little like moment in the mid game where this sort of whole there's a whole shift in tone and a whole shift in like just the whole it's really I don't know. Sorry. Super cool. Go ahead, mate. Sorry. It makes you wonder if, you know, the, the silent protagonist is often a, you know, they're like stoic. They're just here to save the world. They don't have much to say. They are bent on their convictions. What if it's just that they don't know how to talk? <laughs> yeah. Or that they've been sort of specifically led down a path where talking is not important to Nova's purpose to the center, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just really like that. And there were a couple other things I wanted to talk about that is sort of late game stuff that I was thought was really cool. Um, one is that about um, two thirds of the way through the game, the game introduces something called the like MetaCoin framework. I think I'm getting that right. Where uh, it, it suddenly the world of the game has these coins spread all over the place and you can collect them and then spend them in the MetaCoin shop. And they're called MetaCoins because everything you can spend them on is very meta. So, um, you know, you can you can spend them to activate uh, these sort of meta points at various different places in the world. And when you go to those meta points, it basically works like like if you've played a game where they have like an in-game um, developer commentary and often they're basically these sort of like little hovering points at various places in the game world that you press on a thing and like the developer tells you, hey, when we built this section, originally we did it this way, but then that didn't work and we did it another way. Um this lets you do that during the course of the original flow of the game and the like developer commentary is sort of in the context of the game. Like it's written from the perspective of the developers, but it's also sort of diegetic. It's hard to explain, but the tone of it is very meta. It's, it's very like telling you about areas and it's unclear, like when it talks about like how an area was created, is it talking about how like Sean Hantani created it, or is it talking about how the center created mm. it? Um, the tone of it is like walking this really interesting line. And it also opens up these areas where you can zap into these areas called unzones, which are kind of like gray box areas where the the devs are kind of showing off their like early prototypes for stuff that either made it into the game or maybe didn't make it into the game. Uh, and that's all stuff that you can just sort of explore as part of the course of the regular game. I thought that was a really clever way to kind of include that um, kind of, uh, you know, meta material right within the game. Because I know for for myself, I don't often engage with that stuff. Once I've completed a game, I'm kind of done. But putting that stuff in as this sort of like, it's kind of part of the game is like a really clever yeah. Thing. I, yeah, I, that that's way I'm way more likely to engage with something like that if it's in, if it's a part of the game, but that's really hard to pull off. And and I think it is interesting because the the creators of this game have already set the tone that they've put themselves in there a little bit, right? By having like a letter to the player at the uh, out of the gates mm-hmm. too. Yeah, they're they're very willing to just like speak directly to you as a player and um yeah. like I I really like that about it. And it's they carry that through like really extensively. They, there's a lot in this game that is these two specific developers speaking to you as a player. And um, like the, the meta system thing is like, it's both part of the plot and also just this totally meta way of like 
talking to you, the player, about how the developers wanted to convey things to you. It's it's really clever. Yeah. I, I also wanted to call it a couple of other weird sort of late game things that I thought were really cool. Um, and this is serious spoilers. Um, there was a, uh, there's this really amazing moment um, about uh, three quarters of the way through the game um, where you, you know, you're hunting through this 3d environment, trying to find characters to interact with and, you know, hoping that they are infected with dust so that you can go in and clean them and get a card. And I was at the point where I was like down to like just a handful of cards I needed to left to connect. And I'm hunting this area that's sort of a beach and there's this giant lobster, but it's halfway embedded in a wall in a way that does not look right, right? It looks like a glitch. Um, so there's this there's this rock face that's like only partially rendered and this, this lobster is kind of like partially embedded in it. And I think that looks like a glitch, but I go up to it. I try to talk to it. It can't talk, but you can spark it, meaning you can kind of dive inside it. And um, it's, it's like this fully glitched area where uh, like, first of all, all the dungeons have titles, but this one is called like no air. Oh, it's called no such scene. And the, the flavor text for it is all Laura Mipsum text. And when you get inside it, rather than diving into the standard dungeon, you're in an isometric game where you're playing as this like modern uh, like a uh, woman who's living alone in an apartment and is uh, contemplating the gargoyle living on the outside of her very modern looking uh, or not modern looking. It's actually kind of a retro looking apartment building, but like in a modern city, not not at all related to anything that you've seen in the game previously. And the, the character's name is Nora. So like you're no longer Nova, you're Nora. And uh, you play out a couple of days in the life of Nora, the this like pretty average person who works at a fast food restaurant. And you're, you know, every morning you contemplate this gargoyle on the outside of your apartment and, you know, there's a, like a friend comes to visit you, that kind of thing. And, uh, it, it slowly over the course of about 20 minutes turns into a horror game where you start getting these increasingly unsettling stalkerish texts and then, of course, it turns out that the texts were from the gargoyle. And the gargoyle Ooh. chases you around the apartment building and suddenly starts shedding all of its stone shell and becomes this hideous flesh creature. I mean, it's just this, like, super weird, like, glitched out interlude in the game that, like, comes out of nowhere, has almost no bearing on the rest of the game, and just rewards you with a card once you get through it. And it's like, wow, what was this doing here? And I mean, there's other weird little things in the game too. Like you, you, you get a, you get the ability to shrink to an even smaller scale than nano scale, and that becomes used quite a bit. And some of the places where you do that are, are particularly interesting. Like there's a place in the game where you uh, shrink down into into a little, uh, like you shrink into a book and the book is a sort of a fairy tale and, and suddenly you're in a dragon quest style RPG. Like there's all these little like weird shifts yeah. in, in gameplay style that happen towards the end of the game where they, they, they really just sort of feel like they're flexing and showing off like all the cool stuff that they can throw into this game. I, yeah, they definitely, they definitely established like, Hey, with our format, we can pretty much zap you around in any game style that you want. So let's make a half hour dragon quest or whatever. Right. Yeah. And you can just like drop in that and whether it's fun or not, 
it doesn't really matter because it's so short. Yeah. Also, I I loved the sort of bizarre willing to try anything structure, particularly towards the end of this game. And I won't talk about the the ending. I'll say that I, I got the bad ending first and then went back into my save and got the good ending and both are worth getting. Um, mm. And I I just, I, I, I really enjoyed everything about this game start to finish. So um, cool. yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. There's some really cool stuff towards the end and uh, check it out. Yeah, I, it's a uh, it's a game that is considered top to bottom. You know, like they definitely uh, the amount of varied experiences and effort put into making a complete experience is pretty impressive. Yeah, and I think this is one of the more interesting and cooler games we, we've done uh, this year. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. This is this is like this is you know easily on my uh, on my game of the year consideration list. You know, yeah. right now, uh, maybe that's yeah. just sort of like uh, recency bias but I thought it was really cool. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, thank you again for, for joining us and sticking or, uh, sticking it out past the spoiler break. Uh, hope to hear from you on the Discord. If you're uh, not supporting the Patreon, that's okay, too. Hope to hear from you on Twitter and on uh, our website and all of those sorts of places. Uh, very shortly, we are, so we have two games coming out that are going to be covered on the show very, very soon. And I think the order, uh, they're coming out very close to each other, so the order is a little bit in the air. But I think the order is we're going to be covering Telling Lies, the follow-up to Her story by Sam Barlow. Uh, and then probably right after that, we'll be covering Knights and Bikes, which is a game that I've been looking forward to since its Kickstarter like three years ago. Uh, so it's a fantastic title. Yeah. Knights and Bikes is coming up. Uh, Telling Lies, the FMV uh, follow up to her story. And after that, we're not 100% sure. So if you have suggestions, now's a great time to let us know. We're planning out our episodes all the way to the end of the year right now. And so Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.